This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're in chapter 19. In this passage, Jesus is asked about marriage and divorce, and he reveals the truth about marriage and its high place in God's economy. That was all part of last week's message. Marriage is a gift from God. This week, in part two of Pastor's message, we'll hear about the limited sanctions God allows for divorce. And we'll also learn about the gift of singleness, something you might not imagine calling a gift. But God chooses our circumstances and uses them all for His glory. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So what's next on the text here is Matthew 19. We're going to cover verses 7 through 12. But I'm going to read the passage from the beginning, starting in verse 1 all the way through verse 12 in Matthew 19, so that we can understand the context and then pick up where we left off last Sunday. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them to the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It says this, When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Then he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. All right, so a lot to unpack here, but before we do anything, let me just repeat the disclaimer I made last week. Every time we come to a passage of Scripture that talks about the matter of divorce, painful memories may resurface because there are a lot of people in our church body who have been through a divorce. And I want to, what I want to tell you is that all of the divorcees in our congregation here are the godliest people you will ever meet. And they have used their painful experiences in the past and enlisted them and recruited them for the glory of God and to even mentor others in their marriage. And the other thing we talked about last week is that there is redemption, even for divorces that happen outside of the sanction that we just read. It, it, they are forgivable offenses to God, and God can use even a broken people for His honor and for His glory. So with that in mind, let's just review very briefly what we talked about, the gift of marriage, because that's what Jesus is talking about here, the gift of marriage and then the gift of singleness. 
Within the gift of marriage, we talked about the sanctity of the institution. He said, from the beginning, you heard what it was said, that God created a male and female. And again, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have to say this or, or to restate the obvious. You can only exist in either the two genders, not 27 genders. You're either a male or a female, according to the very words of Christ. In the beginning, God created them, male and female. And then that's the foundation of the gift of marriage. God gifts most people with the gift of marriage, but not all. Like he just said here in the text, and we will talk about this. But there's also the sanction in the institution, and that's what I want to talk to you about, because there is a concession for divorce. It is something that God hates. He says that in the book of Malachi, chapter 2, verse 16, very clearly, God hates divorce. However, he permits it in certain circumstances, according to what Jesus just said. But before we even talk about that, let's see again what Jesus says in verse 8. He pinpoints the problem of divorce. He diagnoses the human heart. He says, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted it. He never commands it. He permits it. Because of the hardness of the human heart, wherein lies the root of the problem of divorce. Because of sin, spouses sometimes will seek intimacy outside of marriage. What he means by the word immorality here, when he says in verse 9, that's the exception clause. Except for immorality. Now, that word is translated from the Greek porneia, which originated the English term pornography. That term has a wide semantical range depending on the context. It can mean prostitution, it could mean fornication, it could mean adultery or unchastity or even idolatry in the context of pagan orgies, which were common at the time. And obviously then, the one in view in verse 9 here is the application of that word porneia within the context of marriage, namely unrepentant adultery. And that is the exception clause, unrepented adultery. That is what Jesus is talking about here. Whoever divorces his wife except for unrepentant adultery and marries another woman commits adultery. So this doesn't mean automatically that the betrayed spouse should immediately and automatically pursue a divorce, obviously, because in the previous chapter we talked about forgiving 70 times 7 and reconciliation and restoration. So Christ explains God's permission of the divorce that he hates, not because the breaking of marital bonds was the original plan, because Jesus says right here, it wasn't like that from the beginning. So he explains that there is that allowance, not because it was in the beginning, but because of the hardness of heart. And because, I will say to you, of the grace of God. Let me show that. Let me show you divine mercy and grace, evident in the concession of divorce here that Jesus is talking about. In the Old Testament economy, adultery was punishable by death. That's what Deuteronomy says in Deuteronomy 22, verse 22. If a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman. Thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. The sanctity of marriage was to be observed so clearly that the whole thing was punishable by death. Adultery was punishable by death. So the execution of the two adulterers, in this case, would allow the widow or the widower to remarry. You see, grace and mercy, therefore, are the divine motivators of the exception clause here, the concession that Jesus allows, the sanction in the whole idea of divorce. The adulterer receives divorce rather than death and gets to live. The betrayed spouse receives grace and the permission to remarry. Paul affirms this standard here. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 11 very clearly. By the way, 1 Corinthians 7 is the commentary of 
this whole idea that Jesus presents here. Paul says, To the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. And obviously, the hardness of heart clause is understood here when Paul is speaking this to the Corinthian church. He would not contradict Jesus. So he's, he understands that the hardness of heart idea is embedded here. But although not preferable, biblically legitimate divorces do happen. They are unfortunate. They're not preferable. But in these cases, the apostle instructs, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 27 through 28. Are you bound to a wife, he says, do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. So what is he saying here, this idea of being bound to a wife or released from a wife? I'm glad you asked. Because being bound to a wife describes the status of a married man. Then having been released from a wife is what he says here. Are you released from a wife? That term, church, pictures someone previously married. You can't be released from something you were never bound to in the first place. He's picturing someone who has been married before. The verb tense in the Greek language here is called the perfect tense. And the perfect tense of the word translated released or loosed describes an event that happened in the past with enduring results. Therefore, in these verses here, Paul cannot be referring to a man who has never been married. He's referring to a man who has been married before, and now his status is different. He presumes that the divorce happened within the context of the concession. Otherwise, he would not recommend remarriage because he would be violating what Jesus says. But he also says, if you are in this situation, if you have been released from a marriage based on a biblically sanctioned situation, you must consider singleness as an option, he says, to prevent future hurt, to prevent a second divorce. By the way, statistically, even today, persons who have been divorced once will likely divorce a second or a third time. This is just a matter of statistics. But this is what he says, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 9. If they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, we will cover the gift of singleness in a few moments. But for now, I want you to look at verse 9 again. And circle the word end in the beginning of that verse. And it's a conjunction. Now, you remember in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus confronted the Pharisees. And he says, well, you heard what was said, but I say this. Now, this is a different formula that he's using here. He says, yes, you heard from Moses. And Moses said this, and I say to you. So he's not contradicting Moses like they wanted him to do. He is elaborating on what Moses says. And what Moses says was he permitted divorce, not commanded divorce. So if immorality happens in a marriage, if adultery happens, it's not an automatic termination. There is room for forgiveness. There is room for reconciliation. So, again, we're talking about Jesus' value system. Now, we know the world's value system already. We operate by it from time to time, sometimes by default. But Jesus is presenting his value system. And in his value system, therefore, what he says here is God hates divorce. There is no permission for divorce except in cases of sexual immorality, adultery in the marriage. But here's the second concession that the Bible talks about. And it's not in this particular passage. We'll need to go somewhere else. We'll need to go to 1 Corinthians 7 to understand the second biblically sanctioned permission here for divorce. This one's a little more passive 
than the first one. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 through 15. But to the rest I say, not the Lord. Let me just pause for a moment here. When Paul says, to the rest I say, not the Lord, he's not saying, well, my teaching is superior. He's simply saying, God in his sovereign purposes decided that I, as an apostle, would cover this now. So, to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. In a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. By the way, this sanctification here doesn't mean automatic salvation. It means that the blessing that God is pouring down on the saved spouse will rub off on the unbelieving spouse. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Again, same reason. They're not holy because they are automatically saved. No one gets saved apart from grace through faith and belief in Jesus Christ. But Paul continues, Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 12 through 15. Again, and Paul is presuming that the believing spouse has attempted to reconcile at this point because Jesus says in chapter 18 of the Gospel of Matthew, forgive 70 times 7, seek reconciliation before you even come and worship me, he says in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's presuming all of that, but he's saying here that the believing spouse has attempted to reconcile, applying humility, forgiveness, selflessness. Nevertheless, if the unbeliever walks away, then the deserted spouse has been released from the commitment. This is what Paul is saying. It's the being released again. You're no longer bound. You're no longer under bondage in such cases. Now, I have heard people trying to manipulate this in many ways. So we need to stick with what Scripture says. There is no emotional abandonment here. This is an unbeliever who walks away is what Paul is describing here. And in this case, what he's saying is, let him go. Let her go. You have been released from the bondage in such cases here. So therefore, church, what we learn here is that adultery and abandonment by an unbeliever are the only divine concessions for divorce. There is no other reason that someone is allowed to pursue a divorce. These things devastate families, of course. They devastate reputations. They devastate hearts, careers maybe sometimes, but they are forgivable. Seventy times seven. Remember that Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22. God commands the betrayed spouse to forgive The adulterer must repent and seek reconciliation. The deserter, unbelieving spouse, must come to faith in Christ because that's the most important question. The unbeliever who abandons his family and walks away from his family, his or her first concern is to restore his relationship or her relationship with God, first of all, and then come back to his family or her family if that, if restoration is possible, may not be possible. So obviously, the question you may be asking, what do we do here at Grace Baptist Church? Well, that's not a a, a tough question to answer. It's not rocket science. We decide what the scripture says. We honor this standard because we love the Lord and we love his word. We will never recommend a divorce in any circumstance because we understand that God hates divorce. We will always pursue restoration in marriages and shepherd the people involved towards reconciliation. We understand it may not be possible in cases of adultery, but we will pursue that. We will try that first. We'll take that route first. We will encourage them to forgive and we'll do our best to shepherd the spouses who committed adultery towards accountability and reconciliation and peace. So in order to understand then the two concessions on the sanction of the institution of marriage is this. God does not command, but he allows you to seek a divorce in cases of adultery. 
Likewise, he does not command, but permits you to simply let go of the deserting spouse after attempting to reconcile, after attempting to forgive and work things out. But if the unbeliever wants to go, let him go. If you have divorced outside of these two concessions, let me encourage you from the word of God, okay? Where sin increased, the Bible says, grace abounded all the more. Romans 5 verse 20. And also in 1 John 1, 9, we're told that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do you do? You stay in your current marriage and appropriate these words from Jesus Christ. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more from now on. Take the lessons you learned from the pain of the past and apply them in your current situation. And here's a personal request from shepherd to sheep. I ask you, if you are contemplating a divorce, for whatever reason, even if it's biblically sanctioned, please talk to any of us elders at this church so that we can shepherd you. Don't make that decision by yourself. Talk to any of us so that we can shepherd you properly. I speak for my fellow elders at this point here. We'd rather place the warning signs along the road than to running an ambulance service at the bottom of the cliff, which that's what's going to happen if you pursue a divorce. They will be hurt specifically for children. But the most important part of all of this, we must address divorce before it happens. We know the regulation, but we must focus on avoidance. For that reason, I want you to consider the following verses here. Ephesians 4, verse 32, be kind to one another. That includes spouses. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God also in Christ, has forgiven you. Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. James 1 verse 19, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Husbands, the Bible says, Ephesians 5 verse 25, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, you imitate Christ in your house. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, 1 Peter 3, verse 1 says. And again, biblical submission has nothing to do with bullying. The Bible does not command you to become a doormat. Biblical submission is exactly what we're talking about here. You consider the other more important than yourselves. And by the way, the Bible commands all of us to submit to one another anyway. So wives, be submissive to your husband. Recognize his spiritual leadership in the home. Don't try to take over. We talked about the sanctity and the sanction in the gift of marriage. But Jesus talks about something else in this passage here in chapter 19. And in verses 10 through 12, he talks about the gift of singleness. Did you know that singleness is a gift? God gifts most people with marriage, but some people receive the gift of singleness. Contrary to the dating around that our modern culture encourages, or the hookup culture, if you will, Christ describes the blessing of singleness. Although he acknowledges that the listeners and modern-day readers will have a hard time understanding that God has granted to some the gift of singleness. And part of the reason why we find that hard to understand is because from the beginning, God says, well, you multiply the earth. Multiply the earth. That means have babies. Get married. Have babies. So perhaps that's the reason why it's hard to understand that. The other reason, I believe, is that our over-romanticized and over-sexualized culture cannot grasp the idea that someone can have a fulfilled, joyous life without a spouse or a family and live a life of godly sexual purity. So Jesus explains then four aspects of the gift of singleness. We'll go through them in the remainder of our time. The first one I call celibacy by contentment, verses 10 through 11, celibacy by contentment. These folks, they are perfectly content in their status. 
perhaps more than the rest of us because they understand that the source of their joy is Christ, not a spouse. God may have given them this gift for a season and may place the desire in their hearts to marry eventually. And what does Paul say? Feel free to go seek a wife or a husband. Feel free to marry if you want. So the first aspect of celibacy by contentment. How about the second one in the gift of singleness? Celibacy by condition. Verse 12, Jesus says, For there are eunuchs who are born that way from their mother's womb. So what is a eunuch, church? Eunuchs were male officials of royal courts in charge of managing the royal harem. For those of you who don't know what a harem is, is the concubines and the many wives that a king had. The job description of a eunuch demanded emasculation. Now, please understand, Jesus is not endorsing the practice. He is not saying it is right. But he is including the expression eunuch by birth to reference people who have defects that prevent them from having children and or enjoying a physical oneness with a spouse. Are we clear about that? That is what he's saying. But according to Christ here, such a condition should not be looked upon as a curse, but as a gift from God. He's saying that there are people who are born this way, but if that's the case, they should enjoy that as a gift from God. Instead of complaining and living a life of bitterness, they can have a fulfilled and joyful life and enjoying their God-ordained limitations. All of us have other types of God-ordained limitations in our life, perhaps physical, perhaps emotional. But in this particular case here, the eunuchs by birth, God may even allow them to meet someone from the opposite gender who has the same condition, and they may decide to get married together for the companionship, for the spiritual closeness. Here's the third aspect of the gift of singleness here that Jesus talks about. And it's the second part of verse 12. It's celibacy by circumstance. Celibacy by circumstance. He says, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. Now, that's something that happened to you, he's saying here. To, there are people who are involuntarily made eunuchs, or perhaps voluntarily, but not by birth. And he is now pointing out an example of literal eunuchs. And the expression, having been made eunuchs by men, references forced or volunteer emasculation. But the expression here could also apply to people who suffered accidents. And here's the fourth and last example here in this particular passage, and that's celibacy by choice. Because Jesus talks about there are eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not mutilation. This is not castration here. What he's saying is he is describing people who forego marriage and family to serve God without the concerns of raising a family. Now, in this particular case, these folks don't have a physical limitation. They have a greater desire for ministry at full potential without raising a family, without the desire for married life. It's a perfectly legitimate option. I know people like that, and you know too, because the Bible talks about one, perhaps the most famous one of all, Paul. He says this, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, he says, each man has his own gift from God, one in this matter and another in that. So Paul is confirming that God has gifted some men with the gift of celibacy and women as well. And in my mind, as I was preparing this message here, I'm thinking about several missionaries that I met in the past who went to the mission field and decided, that, you know, my, this is my family right here. I'm going to dedicate my life to this cause of serving God in this manner. So in terms of application, what does that mean for the rest of us? If you are single, for whatever reason, for 
whatever length of time, whether it's temporary or permanent or, or due to a divorce for whatever reason, enlist that status for the glory of God. Enjoy that status in serving Him. Use the time, the extra time that you have to serve Him. But if you desire a spouse, look for one. If your divorce happened within these sanctioned biblical permissions. Because otherwise, the Bible says you commit adultery. But the point is, whether you are single, married, or divorced, or widowed, make sure you secure the most important relationship in your life. That's how you can wrap this up, this discussion. You need to make sure you secure the most important relationship in your life. And that is because Jesus is the lover of your soul. If he's not your savior, you're not a part of the bride of Christ which means that you will be excluded from the family of God. But the good news is you can come to faith in him. He is a faithful bridegroom who will never divorce his beautiful wife. And the reason we know that he'll never divorce his beautiful wife, the church, is because we read about it in the book of Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb that is about to happen. He has been preparing his bride for that day. And that bride, church, is you and me. And those of you guys, or maybe oh, that's not very masculine, I'm the one's bride, don't miss the metaphor, all right? We are the bride of Christ, and Christ has been preparing that bride for that day, and we'll be united with him forever. But you got to make sure that you are part of the bride of Christ, and that is your most important relationship. So if you're not yet a believer in Christ, it's not rocket science. The Bible says you believe in him in your heart, and you confess him with your mouth. You repent from your sins. And the Bible says the day you do that, you will be made new, born again, admitted into the kingdom of heaven through the narrow gate, by grace through faith. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost through the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.